This is VLX number 60, Jesus Calls His Twelve Apostles. We are in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. God give you his peace. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. God, our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. And Jesus called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these, first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. My name is Father Dave Nix. This is the Padre Peregrino channel. VLX stands for Video Lexio Divina. Welcome if you're new at joining us. We're going to jump right into the Ignatian. That's the imaginative way of prayer today. Now, you're going to pick an apostle and walk around the Sea of Galilee with that apostle and ask him about Jesus' life and teaching and personality. You're going to get some good descriptions from Father Lapide and the Twelve Apostles in a few minutes. Now, that long reading from Father Lapide, it's a little bit boring, but I think kids, if they listen closely, even they will get a strong image for each of the apostles. This week, I was talking to a family in Texas that had me over for dinner, and as I was asking the kids about what they saw in the imaginative way of prayer, it was definitely more vivid than anything that comes to me. So I do believe if you just give these kids time, they'll see things in their prayer that you and I don't as adults, dare I say even things directly from God. Now, how about the non-Catholics who are following this series? Will they be okay talking to an apostle in prayer? Or since there are non-Catholics following this series, are you going to be okay talking to an apostle in prayer? Well, let me tell you about two experiences I had at two of the major evangelical hubs here in Colorado. Actually, it was in a different diocese down in Colorado Springs. In seminary, I went to New Life Church to see their passion play. They have a passion play that includes at least one point, had real horses, a real tiger. Um, It goes all the way back to the fall of Adam and Eve. In fact, it goes back to the fall of uh, the angels when some of the angels became demons before God. There's acrobats. There's um, everything from prehistory with the demons falling before time all the way through the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And there's hundreds and hundreds of extras in this play. Probably a lot of Catholics would think it's corny, um, But it moved me to tears every time. Now, usually it was a different apostle that was the narrator through this play, this play that took place in a a megachurch. And don't worry, I wasn't worshiping there. This was just a play. And they usually had an apostle or an actor who was playing an apostle walk you through this part of Jesus' life. In fact, it actually went through the entire part of Jesus' life, but it was especially pronounced on his passion, death, and resurrection at that time. And after that, certainly many non-Catholics would go up and talk to, quote-unquote, the Apostle John, or they would go up and talk to, quote-unquote, the Apostle Thomas, whoever was the apostle that was leading the narration through the Passion Play. And so people had no problem talking to him as if um, he was still on this earth. Well, that's how we Catholics see the communion of the saints. We don't worship them. But it will be very worthwhile for you today to pick one of these apostles and talk to them. Another experience I had in Colorado Springs, I took a tour of the Focus on the Family Museum, basically, or I guess it was, a, I guess it was a museum. I went to the Focus on the Family Museum, and they have a big statue of Dr. James Dobson. 
So that right there shows that even non-Catholics are hungering for a communion of those who've gone before us. So let me repeat again my suggestion for the imaginative way of prayer is that you are going to do 15 minutes of listening to this series, then turn that off, and then do 15 minutes of prayer where you will pick an apostle and walk around the Sea of Galilee with that apostle and ask him about Jesus' life and Jesus' teaching and Jesus' personality. And I know this might sound a little juvenile for some of the adults out there, but you will derive great benefit, much more benefit than just listening to me, if you can listen for 15 minutes of this and then turn your phone off fully to airplane mode and try talking to an apostle for 15 minutes. And listen, you'll be surprised that it really is God speaking through his saints to you on these things. Now, today, as you noticed, it was a short gospel, but I am going to give you a long reading from Father Lapide because Father Lapide, that great almost saint from the 17th century, he has a description about the apostles that really brought them to life for me like nothing I'd ever read about the apostles. Certainly better than a lot of these corny movies out on Jesus and the apostles. I walked out, literally walked out of the movie Son of God. That was a movie where our Lord walks out into the boat of Peter and Andrew and he can't even get into the boat. He kind of flops like a big fish in the opening scene in there. Here you have God who made the Sea of Galilee, can't get out of it and flops into the boat. Couldn't do it, you know. Okay, but I do want to set up a few things for today. It's really amazing that the 12 apostles are meant by our Lord to be mere images of the 12 sons of Jacob in the Old Testament, or perhaps the crowning pillars to the 12 tribes of Israel. Same thing. There's a Jewish website called Chabad that describes the 12 tribes like this quote, Who are the 12 tribes? Jacob had 12 sons. The offspring of each of these men became the twelve tribes, Shevatim in Hebrew, of the nation of Israel. Although all the tribes are part of one nation, each tribe, Shevet in singular or Shevatim in the plural, has unique characteristics. And so when they were blessed by Jacob and later by Moses, each tribe received a different blessing in accordance with their individual nature and purpose. Remember that, individual nature and purpose. So again, this Jewish website today says that these tribes had a real personality. In fact, that website even says where they camped when they were going through the desert with Moses. The north part of the giant camp, the east, southwest, or the center. And that website also includes the symbol of the flag. So real personality to these 12 tribes. Probably because the 12 sons of Jacob had a real personality. Now, do the Jews today know which tribe they belong to? Chabad continues, quote, Tribal identity is passed on from the father. The vast majority of Jews do not know which tribe they are from. However, there are many Jews whose families retained their identity as Levites or Kohanim. A lot of times, I'm, this is me, Father Dave, adding this now. You'll often see like a Jewish person with the last name of Cohen. That means they're of the Levi tribe, or at least derived from that. Okay, Chabad continues. There are only a small handful of families from other tribes who know which tribe their forefathers were from. When the Messiah comes, and this is again a Jewish website, we already know it is our Lord Jesus Christ, we will rediscover who is a member of which tribe. It is then that the Jewish nation that we, all, that we know today and the ten lost tribes will be reunited in the land of Israel. Well, we're going to see this recapitulated today in the Apostles. The website I just read you from, it's very accurate on everything except they don't know the Messiah already came there. But what's amazing is as there was a location for each of these 12 tribes of Judah, so also the 12 apostles have their region. But guess where their region is? 
It's the entire globe. Think about the fact that James went as far west as Spain and Thomas went as far east as India. So the 12 tribes are now found on the seven continents, literally. St. Matthew went to Ethiopia. St. James went to Spain. And really, the entire Western Hemisphere is under his tutelage because the Spaniards ended up converting the entire Western Hemisphere, or at least North America and South America. Saints Peter and St. Paul have all of Italy and Rome, and in some sense the whole world because of the authority Rome has. And then St. Andrew and St. John, the few Christians left in modern Turkey in some sense belong to them. And of course, St. Thomas went all the way to India, the subcontinent of India. So there's a worldwide identity under each of these personalities that we're going to look at today. I am really happy to see we have listeners from all over the world in this little series. And wherever you're from, you might want to pick the apostle who brought Christ and the sacraments to your people. So for example, if you're in Mexico, that would be St. James as James went to Spain and then Spain brought the faith to Mexico. Or again, if you're in India, that would be St. Thomas who directly, not indirectly, directly brought the faith to India. By the way, St. Thomas had a showdown with the Hindu priests there, and Thomas did miracles that they could not counter. It was very much like Moses against the pagan priests of Egypt there in India. The point is, these apostles were the spark that lit the entire world on fire. They weren't just good apologists. They didn't just know how to kind of defend the faith and then were sort of annoying and got killed. These guys were in the unitive stage of prayers close to Christ, as close to the Blessed Trinity as you possibly could be besides Mary and Joseph. These guys were the spark who lit the entire world on fire. You see, they didn't just teach about Jesus' passion and resurrection. It wasn't like they were just exciting evangelists like we're used to in the 21st century. They were in some sense replicas of the life and death of Jesus. When you looked in the eyes of an apostle, you saw Jesus. I'm not saying they were God. But there is a tradition, if you look in Second Peter, of, of divinization. That's right out of the Bible, that we become partakers of the divine nature. And we're going to hear a little bit later how there's something commensurate in the human nature of those cousins of Jesus, many of whom are going to be included in the highest ranking of saints, with the level of divinization. Now, these apostles were in some sense replicas of the life and death of Jesus. Quote, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies, end quote. And that was St. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.10. You see, these apostles, when you start to picture them, they were more alive and more dead than anyone you've ever met. Talking to one of them would be like talking to a dead saint walking the earth. But by dead, I mean their souls were already almost in heaven as they walked the earth, just loving people into the kingdom. You see, the apostles didn't just walk around teaching the faith. The apostles were direct windows into the crucified and risen Jesus who was already in heaven, obviously, body and soul by the ascension. The apostles didn't just bring people back to, say, a happier Judaism. They turned the entire world on its head by horizing everyone's life on either choosing to live the cross or living easy unto eternal death. Now, you've never probably noticed this line from Acts of the Apostles. Listen to this. Quote, And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. End quote. Did you catch that? The complaint against the apostles there was that they have turned 
the world upside down. See, they didn't just have like a little defense of things. They, they turned everyone they met upside down. The upside down in Greek there is anastatosantes, which I believe is the inverse of the present participle of things standing upright. Anastatosantes. Okay, so before hearing Father Lapide's long but stunning description of the apostles, as he links them also, by the way, to the 12 tribes of Judah a little bit, let's briefly hear today's gospel, short gospel again. And Jesus called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these, first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So if you want to go do the imaginative way of prayer now, that's totally fine. You can turn me off. I'd rather you go pray than listen to me. But I am going to read you some long, maybe boring descriptions of the apostles from Father Lapide. I don't think they're boring. I think these were absolutely stunning. I would say just listen as long as you want to this. Um, if you are really into the apostles, if you really love the saints, I'd suggest you listen to this whole thing. Father Lapide begins by giving us the very basics and the difference between the 72 disciples and the 12 apostles. Jesus chose 12 apostles then to be his chief legates, whom he invested with full authority and power and sent them forth into all the world to proclaim his gospel unto all nations. He chose also 72 others. These, however, he did not call apostles but disciples. Although they too are spoken of by ancient writers as apostles, that is, legates, or ambassadors of Christ. And such, in fact, they were, but with less power, being subject and subordinate to the twelve apostles. These twelve Christ now sends forth, that they may begin to discharge the office to which they were called and complete the appropriate training under himself as their master during his lifetime, that afterward, being made priests and bishops, they may, after his death, fully accomplish their office and ministry. Therefore, Christ made the apostles the princes of his church and superior to all the faithful, whether martyrs, confessors, or virgins, he doesn't mean the Blessed Virgin Mary, of course, not only in office and dignity, but also in grace and sanctity. For upon them he has founded his church. Moreover, the power of the apostles was the greatest in the church, far greater than that of bishops. For the apostles were instructed and sent forth directly by Christ the Lord, as it were legates, aletere, of Christ, with absolute power through the whole world and with the highest authority in the entire church, first to preach the gospel everywhere and to confirm it by the gift of tongues and miracles, and also to write. For the apostles had the power of writing canonical books, as in fact Matthew and John wrote gospels, Canonical epistles and the Apocalypse. By Apocalypse, he means the book of Revelation, but Catholics and Orthodox call it the Apocalypse. Secondly, they also had power to found churches everywhere and to serve as pastors and rulers of all the faithful in any nation whatsoever. Third, they had the power to institute and ordain priests and bishops and the whole hierarchical order together with ceremonies of the Eucharistic sacrifice and all the sacraments. Note that in this triple power, the apostles were all equal among themselves and with St. Peter, yet they were subordinate to him as their head and superior. That is why Peter in verse 2 is placed and named first among them. The reason why Christ chose exactly 12 apostles, no more nor less, was that they should correspond to the 12 patriarchs 
the sons of Jacob. Now he quotes St. Thomas Aquinas. The number 12, which is made up of three times four, denotes that through the four quarters of the world they were to preach faith in the Holy Trinity. Okay, let me hash that out a little bit for you. Four was the ancient number for the earth. Three is the ancient number for heaven. And obviously, what's the best part of heaven? That the blessed Trinity is there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So four is earth, three is heaven. Four times three is 12. And so what St. Thomas Aquinas is saying is basically the apostles crossed heaven and earth or brought people from earth to heaven is a better way to put it. Then he talks about why St. Peter is called the first. He says, moreover, Peter is called the first of the apostles, not in age, for Andrew was older than he, not in vocation, for Andrew was called before him. See John 1, 41, not even in love, for Christ loves St. John above all the rest. And therefore, at the Last Supper, he leaned upon Christ's breast. Let me pause Father Lapide real quick. Everywhere that you look, you will see that St. Peter is named first and most frequently above, above all the apostles. I think it's 162 times by name in the New Testament. Now, this is really interesting. Father Lapide is saying it's not because he was Jesus' favorite, though he was very dear to his heart, not because he was called first, his brother was called first, and Andrew was older, um, and not even because he was uh, older, for Andrew was also older. So Andrew was older both in biological age and in his vocation in following Christ. And the one that John repeatedly says was the disciple he, he, that Christ loved was himself. So why was Peter chosen? Well, he says right here, It remains, therefore, that Peter was the first of the apostles in excellence and authority because he was indeed their head, superior and ruler. And then it quotes an Eastern saint, St. John Chrysostom. He says, The first and, as it were, the head of all the apostles was Peter, a rough, uneducated man. (laughs) A rough, uneducated man. And there's a lot of beautiful things written about that's exactly why Christ chose him to lead the church so that in his weakness, Christ's strength would shine through. It says, uh, St. Cyprian says, the primacy was given to Peter so that one church of Christ and one chair, that's cathedra in Latin, one cathedra might be manifested. Now, this next part from Lapide is really interesting. We often hear Catholics say all the time, the bishops are the successors of the apostles. And that gets stretched, it's true, but it gets stretched in a little bit of a sanctimonious way. Well, it turns out Father Lapide was pretty tired of that phrase back in the year 1700 when he wrote this book. This is what Father Lapide says about that phrase. You will say the bishops are said to be the successors of the apostles. I reply, this is said only by way of analogy and a sort of accommodation. Because from the apostles, the bishops have a share in episcopal order and jurisdiction, and because bishops are superior to other priests, in the same way that the twelve apostles were superior to the seventy-two disciples, but bishops do not possess that threefold apostolic power which I described at the beginning of this chapter. And just to read that really quick again to you right there, what did they have? Uh, They had the power of writing canonical books, the power to found churches everywhere, the power to institute and ordain priests and bishops, which bishops do have. But this is the big thing. Absolute power through the whole world and with the highest authority in the entire church. See, bishops have their authority in their diocese. The apostles had it globally. Wherever they went, these were the authorities, the living reflections, these sparks of Christ anywhere in the world that they went. Father Lapide then links the 12 apostles to the 12 precious stones as the foundations of the heavenly Jerusalem in Apocalypse 21, 19. 
The first stone, jasper, denotes Peter on account of the firmness of his faith. The second precious stone, a sapphire, Andrew, because of his heavenly life and conduct. The third, a chalcedony, James, burning with zeal. The fourth, an emerald, John, blooming with vigor, yet a virgin. The fifth, sardonyx, Philip, on account of the candor or whiteness of his mind. The sixth, the ruddy sardius, Bartholomew, flayed alive. The seventh, a chrysolite, the color of the sea, Matthew, a penitent. The eighth, a polished barrel, Thomas, polished and confirmed by Christ in the faith of his resurrection. The ninth, a topaz, James the Less, radiant with the aura of sanctity. The tenth, a chrysoprasus, Judas Thaddeus, who by his wisdom was hostile to heretics. And this next part was surprising me. Finally, Paul and Barnabas were not and are not reckoned among these twelve apostles, because these two were called by Christ to the apostolate, not while they lived upon earth, but when he was already reigning gloriously in heaven. Okay, I knew that. But listen to this next line. They had equal power and an equal measure of the Spirit with the twelve apostles. Of course, I would have guessed that for St. Paul. He's my favorite saint besides the Blessed Virgin Mary. But I didn't know that about Barnabas. Did you hear that? Father Lapide just said Barnabas had equal power and an equal measure of the Holy Spirit as the twelve apostles. Let's look at a few more descriptions here. We already covered Peter as the first of the apostles. This is what he says about Andrew. Andrew is a Greek word and means manly, strong, heroic. Aner is man in Greek, and Andrea is manliness or strength. Many of the Jews, after they became subject to Alexander's successors, that's the Greek ruler who was just before, I think, the Maccabees, learned Greek and took Greek names, as I demonstrated earlier. Andrew was what his name signifies, brave and heroic in his preaching and passion, from the strength of his love to Christ, panting for his cross. He was the first of all the disciples of St. John the Baptist, and being by him sent to Christ, first began to know Christ, and he brought his brother Peter to him. Hence it is believed he was older than Peter. Okay, let's look at St. James. This is James, the son of Zebedee. This is the one that I said earlier went to Spain. James, the son of Zebedee. That he was the son of Zebedee is clear from Luke chapter 5, verse 10. This James, surnamed the Greater, the apostle and patron of Spain, was the first of the apostles to suffer martyrdom for his faith in Christ. He was beheaded by Herod Agrippa in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. So he'd be a great one to talk to just about all the upcoming sufferings and everything. How were you excited to suffer? Not just were you praying to stay safe. How were you excited to suffer for Christ? John, his brother, this is the beloved disciple of Christ. So I'm not going to read you all the apostles, but I do want to highlight Simon the Cananean. Now it says right here, this Simon is not so called because he was sprung from the Canaanites. He's called Cananean rather because he was born in Cana of Galilee. That's where that first miracle of Christ took place in John chapter 2. Indeed, certain think that he was the bridegroom at the marriage feast when Christ turned the water into wine. Isn't that interesting? He names it Nisiphorus and Baronius. Nisiphorus and Baronius, two great names in the Catholic, in the Catholic world, believe that Simon the Cananean left his bride at the wedding of Cana after that miracle to follow Christ. Because Cana in Hebrew means zeal, St. Jerome says he was the Cananean. Zelotes or zealot with a double allusion to the city of Cana and his zeal. So he leaves his bride on his wedding day to go and follow Christ. Now, last thing I want to mention today, a lot of people wonder, who are the holiest saints in heaven? Well, Father Lapide gives it his best shot today, and he makes a really interesting connection. He says that just as there's a divinization in the Spirit, so also that would want to be commensurate to being a relation to Christ. Now, of course, Jesus had no children. Of course, Mary 
only had Jesus, and that wasn't by Joseph, that was by God himself. So of course, Mary had no children except Jesus, who's the son of God, and of course, Jesus had no children himself. But they both had lots of cousins, and Father Lapide has some really interesting thoughts on this, and we'll close with this. Note that several of the apostles were relations of Christ as James and John, James the Less, and Jude. So all those people he just named are basically cousins of our Lord. For Christ chose his apostles not to be illustrious and wealthy princes, but to endure labors, poverty, crosses, torments, and martyrdom. Hence he gave them abundance of good things, not temporal but spiritual, even as the order of charity requires, according to which it is right to wish and care for greater grace for parents and relations and for others. I may add, it behooved the word when he took our flesh to unite those who were most near to him in the flesh more closely to his divinity also by grace. Let me read you that again. God himself, the second person of the Trinity, chose to unite those who were most near to him in the flesh, that means his cousins, more closely to his divinity by grace. And this he did so that his mother was the holiest of all, then St. Joseph, after him Joachim and Anna as his grandparents, also John the Baptist and Elizabeth, James and John, James the Less and Jude, as his relations and kinsfolk. Okay, pause you right there. I certainly knew that the greatest saints was Mary and Joseph, but I never would have guessed Joachim and Anna were way up there. So that's a big shocker to me. Thanks be to God for Joachim and Anna. For these, because by fleshly relationship, they were near Christ's humanity. So also were they brought into closer connection with his divinity through grace, just as Christ's flesh and humanity were intimately joined, indeed hypostatically united to his divinity. So in summary, what I would suggest is you just pick one of those saints that I named, maybe even Joachim and Anna, if you want to talk to them about what was that like to raise the Blessed Virgin Mary, or go talk to one of those James Johns that was a cousin of Jesus. Can you imagine that? Talking to someone who was both an apostle and an evangelist, or at least a second cousin or third cousin of our Lord. These people knew him very well in his humanity and his divinity. And please God, they can open up some treasures to you in mental prayer. Please say in our Father for me, et benedictio Dei omnipotentis, Patris et Spiritus Sancti, descendet super vos et maniat semper. Amen.